welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Uh, my name is Tim. I am on staff here. I get to serve, get to teach, enjoy it. We are in a series uh, called the Stories of the Kingdom. We've been this summer. We've been looking at these stories that Jesus taught called parables. And then we've been hearing stories of the kingdom from our community, uh, what, how the kingdom's breaking into people, people's lives. So uh, that's what we've been doing this summer. The, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. Uh, we'll get there in a minute, but if you want to flip there, if you like following along in your Bible, that is where we'll be uh, this morning. So um, I, we, we have uh, four, my wife and I, we have four daughters, and they part of the bedtime routine is we do stories and we always I always pray with them uh, at bedtime and one of the things we pray about pretty much every single night is good dreams they always want to pray for good dreams and then of course mom and dad we please good dreams let them sleep well um but uh but so we always pray for good dreams and the uh the other night maybe a month or so ago one of them uh said to me and said, uh, Dad, why, why is it that we always ask Jesus for good dreams, but I still have nightmares? You know, I, like I'm, I'm praying for good, you know, we ask Jesus for good dreams. Why, why do I still have these nightmares? And what do you say to a preschooler about that? You know, you don't. You don't tell a pre... Well, you, you know, you, there's a whole bunch of things you don't say. You know, well, you need to pray, believe more, try harder. And then, you know, you know, like, what do you say to a pre... You know, and so, like, you, there's there's evil in this world, and, and it's in inside of us sometimes, and we don't even... Uh, and God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want and when we want. And, and how do you answer a question to a preschool? I know one thing that I've found myself praying more often, things like... Uh, like, you know, Jesus, give, give them good dreams. But if, but if they have bad dreams, Jesus, give them brave hearts. And even in their dreams, help them remember that you are with them. Um, I, you know, I, I find myself praying even a little differently with my kids. But how do you answer, answer this? Well, you know, why, we're asking Jesus for good dreams. Why do I have nightmares? Because I think, you know, it's a kid version of a question that we ask in other ways. We ask adult versions of that question, Right? You know, we, we, every one of us in here, we live in this world, this mix of, of good dreams and nightmare, this world of beauty and terror, of good and evil. We live in it. And, and, it, and, if we, and, and there's this tension between, like, I believe in a good God, but yet there's this stuff, this hurt and this pain and unanswered prayers. And how there's a tension. How do we put these things together? We feel this tension, right? And even if, and even if, you, you're, even if you're here and maybe you're not, you wouldn't say you're a Christian, you're, you're here, you have spiritual questions. I mean, all of us, every, where, wherever you are kind of on your journey of faith, we all still have these questions of, of what do we, be, like, all, like ultimate reality behind this universe. Is it, is it good? Is there goodness at the foundation of all things? Or like, is, like if we, the found, is it indifferent to us? Is it, is it against us? Like, what's, like everybody has to put together the, the hurt and evil that we see in this world and also this, this sense of there's real good in this world and how do we put these things together? And I know for, 
I know uh, for, uh, for people who affirm a good God and say we believe in a good God, that there's different, uh, there's different ways we can go with that. That, that when we're, we believe in a good God and we're confronted with this evil and hurt, that sometimes I think one thing people do is just kind of drift away, like drift away from belief in God. Like they can't hold the tension together, so maybe there's not a God after all. And they just kind of drift away. That's one thing that can happen. I think another thing that can happen is, I think sometimes in trying to hold together the hurt in this world and the good God, I think one thing that can happen is um, there's this idea that maybe God's not really as good as he says he is, right? And I, and I think one way I see this in myself is this sense of maybe, maybe God's not really totally good, but if I twist his arm, he'll be good towards me. And so if I, if I pray harder or more sincerely or do this thing or I suffer more, or if I'm more intent, then he'll be good towards me. But he, he's not just good in and of himself. And there's these different things. But then some people, some of us are able to walk in this tension of the reality of there's hurt, pain in this world, and yet the, uh, this affirmation that God is holy, 100% abundantly good. How, how have you wrestled this out in your own life, in your own mind, in your own heart? I mean, we all face, we all face these two realities, right? How, how have you wrestled it out? This morning we're going to look at this section uh, in Luke on, on, and Jesus is teaching about prayer. And, uh, and I think prayer, prayer speaks to this question because in prayer, prayer is where the reality of our lives and what we believe about God, they intersect in prayer, right? Because we're, we're praying out what we believe, what, you know, what's going on in our life and what we believe. They come together in prayer. Prayer is where we work out and speak out and talk out these, this intersection. And so I want to look at what Jesus teaches about prayer and see if it can't speak into this tension that we find in this world. So we're going to be in Luke 11 this morning. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read through a chunk uh, and then come back and kind of, I'm going to read through a big chunk and then come back and just talk briefly about it. So Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, I want to I just briefly go back over and just kind of this big chunk of teaching that Jesus gave on prayer. I just want to look at it together with you. So uh, it begins, one of the disciples, one of Jesus' friends says, Jesus has been praying, and the disciple says, Jesus, teach us to pray. Right? That's what kicks the whole thing off, which is interesting. The only thing that the disciples ever asked to be taught is the only thing they ever asked to be taught is how to pray. They never say, teach us to do miracles, teach us to preach, teach us to lead. They never say that. The only thing they ask to be taught, teach us to pray. I'm thinking, I'm there, I might start with like walk on water or glow like lightning or the water and the wine thing. But the, but you know, the, but I'm not, but the disciples, they said, uh, teach us, to, there was something about like the way Jesus' life was shaped by prayer, or grounded in prayer, or, or inspired by prayer. There's something about it. They said that, we want you to teach us that. And then Jesus gives this chunk of teaching, and he's always the fascinating teacher, right? Because he's this, he gives this model prayer, and then he just tells this story. And you're like, where did this story come from? And then he, these rhetorical questions at the end. There's really kind of three chunks. This model prayer, and then this story, and then these kind of these rhetorical questions to end the thing. And the whole thing is, say, is, a, is an answer to the question, teach us to pray. And, and I think sometimes when, when we first read this, the, uh, at least my natural inclination is to think it's about me and kind of what I'm supposed to do and, 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 and how, you know, my eyes gravitate toward this ask and I'll receive, ding, ding, ding. And, uh, but I really think that the, as I've studied this and kind of spent time in this, I really think the focus for Jesus is somewhere else. I really think the focus for Jesus is he's all through the whole section he's communicating a certain understanding of God that grounds his prayer life. Essentially, I think all this whole section is pointing towards I, the part of the key for Jesus of praying is a view of God as abundantly good Father. That his prayer life is great. He's like, do you want to know how I pray? I know in my heart of hearts that God is my abundantly good Father. It motivates and inspires and shapes my prayer. And I want to I walk through and see how this whole section points towards this understanding of God that Jesus invites his disciples into. So the first section is this model prayer section. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Two, two through four, verses two through four. And uh, it, the whole thing is God is God is good father it starts by naming god as father it says that god is this name or character that's worthy to be to be honored it says that god is this good kingdom we should desire to come that god it says that god desires to give uh, our meet our daily needs daily bread that god desires to forgive that god desires to protect from temptation i mean the whole there's this implicit view of god that runs through the whole thing that god is good father this is the background to it so Jesus starts, gives the model prayer with the whole view saying, God is good father. That's the first chunk. And then Jesus goes to this story. 
he tells a story. And the story, essentially the story says God is better than a human friend. And the story goes like this, just to, to summarize it. And you got to understand the background of the story is kind of rural village Jewish life in the first century. So there's, all, there's some hospitality, honor, shame issues that kind of inform the story. But it goes something like this. The story begins with this big hypothetical question. It doesn't come out in the English real well, but I'll try and capture it. Essentially, Jesus says, imagine, imagine you're at home and a friend shows up late at night. And imagine that you need to host the friend. Because, of course, we all know that hospitality is one of our chief values in rural village life. And we all know that if a friend shows up, we host the friend. We have to provide this great meal right away. And we all know that my, the, the household honor is at stake. In fact, the honor of the whole village is at stake. We all know that. So imagine this person shows up. But imagine you don't have any bread in the house. And you have to have bread. So imagine, imagine that you have a neighbor who is also a good friend. And so you, you go to your, as you would, you go to your, you go to your friend. And imagine you don't even knock because strangers knock. You just call out and you say, friend, I need some bread. I, we, have to, we have to host this person there and we have to preserve our honor. And, and then Jesus says, imagine that the person you're asking says, the kids are asleep, the door's locked, I can't do it. And, and the point is, Jesus is saying, could you ever imagine your wildest dreams? The person would say no to your request. And the implied, the, the implied answer that all his listeners would have been thinking is, no, we could never imagine someone turning down this request. Because we all know in hospitality and honor. And Jesus says as much in verse 8 there. He says, he says we, you know, essentially he says, I all, we all know that even if the person you were asked didn't get up because of friendship, because of, and the word is shameless audacity, and there's some questions about how do we interpret that. But essentially it's saying because of honor and shame reasons. Because of honor, we all know because of honor and shame reasons, this person will be bound to provide the bread. And the, the point of the whole story, that whole story, the, the point of the whole story is, God is better. How much more good? God is so much better than even a human friend or a human neighbor. How much more can we trust God? So the first section, model prayer, God is good father. Second section, story, God is better than a human friend. Third section, God goes, the, Jesus goes back to talking about God as father. And he ends with these couple rhetorical questions. And he says, uh, in verse 11, he says, you know, uh, who, if a, if a kid asked a dad uh, for an egg, who would ever give him a scorpion? Or if a kid asked a dad for a fish, who would ever give a snake? How much more will God give good gifts to those who ask? And again, the point is, God is better than a human father. So these three, all in prayer, three sections, father, friend, father. This big thing on prayer God is a good father. God is better than a human friend. God is better than a human father. And the whole thing centers in on God's character. His good, good, trustworthy character. His disciples say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, I'll teach you to pray. This is how I view the God I pray to. He is wholly, abundantly good. Jesus invites his disciples to approach God this way. Now, Jesus lived in the same kind of world that we live in, and he was not naive. He's not naive about hurt or evil in this world. 
He's not saying this out of some kind of ignorance about that. Jesus, when, uh, you know, in his adult life, his friend and his predecessor, John the Baptist, was arrested and beheaded while Jesus walked this earth. He knew that sort of thing happened. When in the Gospels, in the, 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 these ancient biographies of Jesus, Joseph never, his dad, his human dad never shows up. Because most people think it's probably because his human dad had died by this point. The, the people that Jesus was around in, in this time and place, a third of the population would have been sick or maimed, injured at any given time. He was constantly surrounded by needs that he could not meet them all. His, his family undermined his ministry, the religious leaders. At the moment Jesus taught this, the religious leaders in the country were trying to plot his arrest and his execution. I mean, he was, Jesus isn't saying this out of some kind of naivete about, oh, you know, everything. But in the midst, Jesus, in the midst of the reality of life, he said, this is how I pray when I, I know, I know how abundantly good my father is. You want to know what inspires and grounds and shapes. I know how good my father is. How do we live this? What does this look like? What does this look like to live? I, for myself, um, you know, I said at the beginning that we have these, these temptations. One temptation is to drift into unbelief as we, you know, as we face the reality of our lives and we're praying. One temptation is to drift in unbelief. Another temptation is this kind of, you know, I sense it in myself of maybe God's not good, but maybe if I kind of do the right thing, you know, pray harder or do enough or do this, then I'll kind of twist his arm and I'll make him be good towards me and I can't just rest in his goodness. And so for me to live this, it's the, the kind of, as I, as I pray, it's like the deliberate act of, of, of approaching and even thinking about God as he has shown himself to be through Jesus, through his scripture. Because I know in my own heart there's this kind of temptation that, that maybe my kind of the, the, the feelings of the day or the circumstances of the day or the unanswered prayers that I keep praying, that those determine kind of how I conceive of God. And, and we bring that stuff to prayer. We have to bring the real stuff of our life to prayer. But that doesn't determine how we think about who God is. How we think about who God is comes from how he's revealed himself. He's shown himself to be in Jesus and through his scripture. And it's this deliberate choice of God. I think of you as good father towards me. And this, 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 this place of how we how do how we think about God's character like this is a battleground through scripture this is a place uh, the, scripture starts in Genesis 2 and 3 and and the, the first man and woman the, their understanding of God's goodness is the thing that gets attacked right at the very beginning right man you know Adam and Eve the first man and woman God puts them in the garden he says eat eat of any tree in this garden I will take care of you I'll abundantly provide for you and then the serpent shows up and what does the serpent say the serpent says did God really say that he would take care of you God's lying to you you won't die God's trying to hold the best things back from you what is the serpent attacking? The serpent is attacking the, the goodness of God, his character. How, whether we conceive of God as wholly good, this is a battleground. 
And then, or like later on, Jesus shows up and he's tempted in the desert and Satan comes to Jesus and Satan says, if you are the son of God, are you really the beloved son of the father? This, this place of does Jesus really trust in his sonship and the good, the father's good heart towards him. This place of do we, can we, as we come to God in prayer, can we really affirm, yes, you are good. And even in the face of these things going on in my life, I hold to you as good. And that is how I approach you. I believe this is what Jesus invites his followers into when they ask him to teach him how to pray. Okay, that's enough from me. I want you to hear from some people who've walked this and lived this. So uh, I'd like to invite up uh, Kevin and Beth DeCoster. Would you join up, me up here? Thank you. Yeah, give them a hand as they come on up. So uh, Kevin and Beth have a, a, a powerful and beautiful story um, about the desire to have uh, to be parents. And they, some of you know it, some of you may be new to, but they're willing um, to share some of their story this morning. And, and uh, you know, a few minutes can't do it justice, but at least it gives people a little glimpse, a little window into this kind of this road you've walked in. So thank you very much for being willing to do this. Um, it, it begins, um, I mean, it begins with you two, just a desire, a desire to be parents mm-hmm. and have kids. Do you want to kind of just share a little background? Sure. Where that, where that started, yeah. Yeah, um, Kevin and I got married when we were a little bit older. We were both 38, and we knew at that point um, that we had to start trying to have kids soon. So we uh, got pregnant after about six months of being married, and um, we lost that baby, um, which was the first of five, um, and at that point, we were um, we explored, um, went to a, a fertility doctor, and uh, we did one round of IVF and got pregnant then, um, but that ended up as an ectopic pregnancy, so it wasn't viable. Um, so at that point, we were both uh, pretty mentally and spiritually and physically exhausted, um, so we prayed about it and talked and talked and talked and decided to start exploring adoption. Um, so we looked into both international and domestic and landed with um, going through the fostering program. So, um, and we entered that with a bit of trepidation, more trepidation on Kev's part, I'd have to say. But um, it took a couple years for us to get our foster license, which was good because there was some fears and stuff we had with that. So again, more praying and talking and waiting and all that. Um, and just trusting that this was the right way to go. And and we thought, you know, it was kind of good it was going slow because we were just taking it a step at a time and it wasn't going super fast. So we were kind of easing into it and that was all good. Um, and after we got our license, we got a few calls. I don't know, maybe four or five for different placements. And um, none of them ever quite felt right. There was something... We just weren't on the same page with so we waited and waited longer for that and um then i think it's yeah yeah that's kind of where okay yeah and then but then the day came where you uh the phone call came uh for koya do you want to share about yeah. that yeah so f- first of all um 
it was always our intent that when or if and when we were placed with the child that Beth would be a stay-at-home mom. And so in 2010, during the banking crisis, uh, Beth was about three weeks from being laid off uh, when we got a phone call saying that there was a 12-day-old uh, infant at the hospital and would we be interested uh, in, in coming uh, down to interview with the social worker. So with my numb legs, I hopped in the car and drove into town and met Beth and the social worker at the hospital and talked with him for a few minutes, uh, and well, 45 minutes, and then went in and saw Sequoia. And that's when we found out that he was Native American. And the reason I bring that up is that that was one ethnicity uh, that, that Beth and I had determined that we probably wouldn't move forward on just because uh, of the struggles uh, in, in adopting at that time. Um, the tribes just don't adopt their kids out. And so um, we, we talked a bit of, about it at the, the hospital, and the social worker said that, uh, well, I can give you uh, until 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, but I need an answer by then. And so we went home, and uh, about 6 o'clock, and for the next four hours, prayed, discussed, cried, prayed, discussed, cried, uh, until we were pretty much um, exhausted. And uh, the next morning um, at 10 o'clock, we went in and uh, made that lifetime decision uh, and walked out uh, with a 12-day-old um, baby boy as a foster parent. Yeah. You look at that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, so Koi comes home, but then the first couple years... It was uh, it was unclear whether where it was going to go, whether it's going to be adoption or uh, more temporary. Yeah. So initially, the case was highly adoptable, is what the caseworker said. But that quickly changed, like within weeks of when we got him. Um, and um, shortly thereafter, visitation started happening with his birth mom, which is great. That's good. Um, but we had to learn very quickly. And, and I talked about this in first service, too. Some friends of ours um, told us right after we got Sequoia the Hills, um, you know, you need to remember that he's not, he's not yours. He's God's. So when you're handing him off, you know, it's like you hand off your kids all the time. Your, your children don't belong to you. And um, so that it was a good mentally for us to kind of get in that, um, that space. And so anyhow, visitations began. They went on for a couple years. Um, uh, more hours every week. He was working up to about 20 hours um, a week with his bio mom. And during that whole time, we were very intentional about um, getting to know bio mom, to build a relationship with her um, so that she would know us, we would know her, she would be comfortable with us, um, because it was moving to reunification. And we knew that, and we knew we would have to um, to deal with that. And, and we wanted to be able to see him after he was moved. So, so yeah. Good job. You're Thanks. doing great. I, yeah. yeah. You're doing great. Okay. So a couple, a couple years of w- this question, do we, will we get to raise this boy? And then, uh, but even a couple years in, it was just... Just starting. You were just starting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so... Um, as, as Beth said, 
still still on here. You're doing okay. great. Um, uh, so the birth mom situation changed, uh, which was good for us uh, in one regard. Um, but the tribe uh, decided to start revamping their entire code, and uh, they um, changed their laws as it related and started bringing their kids uh, uh, back out to the tribe uh, to families probably prematurely. And that left us in the situation where every morning we woke up not knowing whether this was the morning that Sequoia was leaving. I uh, didn't know if he was going to be there for his next birthday, next holiday. Um, and that uh, just you know, created tremendous emotional issues that we had to deal with uh, and praying. And I uh, remember Lonnie Swanson, uh, one of the prayer uh, team members here, telling both of us that it's okay to ask. You ask God, and it's okay to do that. And so we basically had to turn over all of our fears and say, okay, God, he's your child. Uh, I want to be his daddy here on this earth, but um, but you're the one in, in control. And then um, a few a year or so later after that, um, during a permanency hearing, uh, the birth mom made it known uh, that she wanted Sequoia to be with us. Uh, that was four years ago. And... Um, during those four years, there were many emotional moments, uh, too many to try and explain here, um, but mostly it was over guardianship or adoption. And again, the tribal codes had changed. And um, Then last summer, uh, in September, um, birth mom, out of the blue, unannounced, stepped forward, uh, showed up at the Lummi Children's Services uh, doorsteps and uh, decided that she wanted to sign her, uh, relinquish her rights, um, which is the only way that we would be able to adopt. Um, and so then we went through nine more months of uh, emotional roller coasters where we felt like uh, we, it, it may sound like she already she relinquished her rights and that would be done, but it's not. Uh, many, many hurdles continued until um, May 17th of this year. So as many of you know, um, we were able to adopt Sequoia uh, seven years to the hour. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth celebrating. Yes. So, um, you know, we're, this morning we're talking about we're talking about prayer and this, this, the tension of reality of life and God is good. And, um, you know, you had these seven years where you wanted to be parents and yet you didn't know. And I can't even imagine it's to even imagine what it would be to, to know. You didn't even know if you get to do that or not. What, how did, how did you pray in that space? Um, we, uh, you know, the outcome, um, it, it, things, oh, I'm not phrasing myself well, um, things are not as I had planned it out. I had planned to have a bunch of kids and, um, you know, no issues, all that stuff, and, and Kevin really hadn't planned on adoption, um, but, but we prayed and God changed our hearts and redirected our hearts, mm-hmm. um, and, and we had choices. I mean, we could have either 
been super upset with God and walked away, like you had said. Um, Or we could hold on to the character of God and understand that that he had a bigger purpose, a bigger plan in mind, and and whether Sequoia was with us or not with us, that was his plan. You know, there was something I didn't mention earlier was there was this tension um, when we were developing a relationship with his mom. We wanted her to be whole. We wanted her to be healthy. We wanted her to be in a good spot. But we wanted Sequoia, and we can't, couldn't have both. That that wasn't going to happen. And um, so we began to pray that God would give her the strength to walk into the court and to relinquish her rights, um, so that she would understand that she she wasn't in a place to take care of him, but we were. And so anyhow, we prayed over that stuff. We asked. We let God change our hearts on what we saw our family looking like, you know, not yeah. four little kids, but one little cute boy. And yeah. um, and God changed all of that, and he had way better plans for us. I mean, every time something would happen, I mean, we got blessings and affirmations from the tribe. They mm. celebrated when we adopted him. Stuff happened that should never have happened. Mm. And it's like we were at a cliff, and, and God was saying, either you jump yeah. or, and so we jumped. And um, we just trusted that God would work it out. And he did. Mm. I mean, he worked it out um, beyond our expectations. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's ours. It's, it's, yeah. I would think it's much easier to to say that than it yeah. was to live that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kevin, you shared some just about how you're, you're uh, with me, your view of uh, Koya and his relationship with God and, and changed in this process. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah, you know, as... as um, I didn't mention this first service, but as, as Beth said, there were things that happened that shouldn't have happened. And um, there were many instances in this whole process um, that, that some would call coincidences, but you just don't put 30 coincidences, I mean major coincidences together without being known as, a, as God's story. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, you know, you know, after about a year when things looked like they might start going the, the wrong direction or the way that wasn't what I wanted, praying and praying and praying every night that, you know, I, that, that we wanted Sequoia to be in our family and, you know, that we were praying for birth mom to be whole. And I have to say um, that it's uh, been honestly and truly a blessing beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, he's just a wonderful little boy. Of course, he's not a teenager yet, so that may change in yeah. six years. But, right. <laughs> um, And I also want to say that uh, there's been hundreds of people, many in this congregation, that have probably pay- prayed tens of thousands of prayers over the last seven to ten years since we've been on this journey. And, uh, you know, this is an answer to your prayers, too. And we want to thank you uh, for joining us and supporting us through this journey. Um, it, there are so many stories in this in this process that we just, you know, without your support, literally probably wouldn't have been able to make it through. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin and Beth. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, that, it is a... It's a sacred thing. I appreciate them sharing and just being honest. It's a sacred thing walking, living it. Uh, because it's the, the, this place of uh, the, the, the prayers that feel unanswered or hurt or difficulty 
and God is good and I'm going to cling to that God is good. Like to that tension, that, there's ten, like that can be messy to live there and difficult and not easy. And I think even that came out in their story. And yet uh, when, when asked, when Jesus when asked, how do we pray? How do we approach God? He said, this is, this is how to, when you, this is the understanding of God I want to give you. He is a good father. He's better than a human friend. He's better than a human father. This is what grounds and inspires and shapes my prayer life. So I want to um, take that now. We're going to move into communion. And I think that's an appropriate uh, place to go. Um, communion, communion is a place where we, uh, re, we remember, we celebrate, we rehearse, we re-encounter the, the good heart of God. Communion remembers the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when we, come, when we talk about the cross, when we talk, talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're not talking about... Uh, the cross is not something that God said, well, I'm just going to get this over with, and you know, I'm glad that's done. That, that is not the cross. The cross is... When we look at the cross, it is God saying, this is my heart of hearts displayed for you. If you want to know what the character of God is like, we look at the cross. A God who would suffer for his enemies, who would take sin and pain and death upon himself for others. This is the very heart of God. And so when we talk about, when we talk about uh, in our prayer, like reflecting on the character of God, we look, the cross is the heart of God towards you. And it's in the cross, it's as we embrace the cross and say, Jesus, I believe you rescued me, you are my king, I believe you've forgiven me. It's in that place that we are told we become adopted kids of God. We are adopted sons and daughters of God as we accept and embrace that. And yes, God, God, everyone is made in God's image and God has love for all people, but there's, there's a relational change that takes place as we accept and embrace this. We become adopted sons and daughters of God. Our, our, our childship to God is secure and God does not unadopt us because we spill the milk. We are in. And so in communion, we come and we, we recenter and refocus as a community on these realities. So I'd like to invite those serving to come forward. Thank you. The way we do communion here at Hillcrest is uh, we have two stations up front. We have three stations in the back. And the station in the back in the center is our gluten-free station. And uh, basically in a moment I'll pray. We'll form lines um, at these different stations. When you get to the front of the line, you can take a piece of bread. You can dip it in the cup and you can... uh, eat of it before you head back to your seat. The server will say something like, body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And this is where we recenter on as a community, as individuals, on the good character of God. And if you're here and you're not, you'd, you'd say you're not a Christian, you're not a Jesus person, we're glad you're here. Don't feel like you have to pretend or feel free to simply observe this. Or this also could be the day where you say, I want that. Like, I, I want to accept the cross that Jesus did that for me. I want to be adopted into God's family. I, Jesus, I accept you as my rescuer, and I follow you as my king. So let me pray for us, and, um, and then you can come and take communion when you're ready.
Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.